And good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And my name is Dave Everett. This is my wife, Sherry. And we're going to continue our Bible study tonight on Effortless Change by Andrew Womack. <coughs> and I'll come back to that in just a moment. Just so you know, all of our Bible studies are archived on our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, thank you for all of our financial partners who have uh, partnered with us in our ministry with our tithes and offerings via our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. So anyway, we're going to, again, we'll be in our study tonight on effortless change, <coughs> excuse me, on uh, by Andrew Womack. And we'll be in chapter 6 tonight, entitled Subject to Doubt. Uh, that's where we'll be tonight. Uh, before we do that, though, we're going to actually read an article from Andrew Womack, the author, his uh, regular, I don't know, I think it's monthly article or whatnot. Anyway, it's highlighting this book. And so we're going to actually read a little excerpt from uh, from that article in just a second. So, uh, excuse me. No, uh, again, people, uh, if you're just joining us, some people might be wondering, effortless change, what's that about? And so it, we're saying about the value of the Word of God. You know, it says here in the back, back, the Word of God is like a seed and your heart is the soil. And so, you know, when you plant a seed in the ground, yes, you are a good gardener or farmer, is <coughs> going to create the environment for that seed to grow, the good soil, the right amount of sunshine and, and water. But the seed grows on its own. Uh, it, it's not it's not stressing to produce as long as it has the right soil. And Andrew as Andrew says here in the back of his book, your heart is the soil. As long as it has the right soil, that seed is going to produce. You know the parable of the sower. You have four kinds of soil, but want the same seed, and it depends on the soil whether that seed was going to produce. The seed produced fine if it was in good soil, and there was an effortlessness to it. If you will prioritize your life around the Word of God, uh, your life will change, will be transformed and changed effortlessly more than you ever could intentionally. In other words, when you try to do it, you you will more likely fail. But when God does it in and through you, now God's not going to do it without your cooperation, but when you try to do it in your own strength, that's when we fail. And that's what uh, the Bible calls in Jeremiah 17, a cursed man. A blessed man is trusting God and uh, allowing God to do it in, a, in and through us, yes, with our cooperation, but God's going to do it. And God's doing the work in us. And as we yield to him and we prioritize the seed of God's word, it's the seed that produces. It's not the soil. The soil doesn't produce anything. Uh, you know, the soil is going to produce weeds or a good seed, depending on the seed. It's the seed that produces. It's the Word of God that's going to produce in your life, not you. You're the soil. And you are. You can create the environment for it. But you're not the seed. The seed is in you. And it's the seed that produces effortless change in your life. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, anyway, like I said, we're going to read a little excerpt from Andrew Womack from his monthly newsletter. Uh, he's highlighting this book, so Sherry's going to read that to kick us off. All right, this is from his Gospel Truth Newsletter. Effortless change. Do you know God has more for you than you're experiencing? If you're like most Christians I've met, you answered yes. The reason why it's because none of us have reached our full potential. 
We all need to keep pursuing the things of God. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Some translations say, life to the fullest. Yet the average Christian is living way below what God intended for them, and they don't know how to go from where they are to where they need to be. Instead, they spend a lot of time praying, fasting, and begging God for change. They're waiting on him to do something. That's not the way the scriptures teach us to change. God has a system of change, and unlike the world's system, it's supposed to be effortless. People hear the term effortless change and think it's impossible. With God, all things are possible, Matthew 19:26. Many believe that change has to be traumatic and painful. However, Mark 4 shows us that a seed doesn't travail or groan to change and produce fruit. It's the nature of the seed to grow into a tree and then produce fruit. In the same way, God's word will change our lives for the better, effortlessly. It's the nature of God's word to bring about change within us. The verses the Lord used to transform my life back in 1968 were Romans 12:1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice that verse 2 in particular says, And be not conformed to this world. The word conform means to be poured into the mold of something. Life is like a furnace, and your experiences are going to have an impact on you. They will melt you, but you get to pick which mold you fit into. The same things could happen to two different people, and yet one could choose to become better, while the other chooses to become bitter. During this COVID pandemic, I've seen people respond in absolute terror and fear. They've based their lives on the fear of a virus that the vast majority of people recover from. It's sad that many Christians are just as fearful and depressed as those who don't know the Lord. There ought to be a difference. The fear of death brings people into bondage, but the word of God can change that fear into faith. Hebrews 2.15 says, Jesus came to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Unfortunately, our society has become very secular. God has been removed from most people's thinking to such a degree that they are terrified of death because they think this life is all that there is. God didn't create us to be this way. We need to change and begin living life to the fullest like Jesus said in John 10.10. We should not be afraid because we know that perfect love casteth out fear. 1 John 4.18 We should be walking in health because we know that by Jesus' stripes we have already been healed, 1 Peter 2.24. We have promises that no plague will come near our dwelling and that God will give his angels charge over us, Psalm 91, verses 10 and 11. If you're a Christian, you should be living at a higher level than people who don't know the Lord. You should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12.2. The word transformed here is the Greek word metamorpho. 
It's where we get the word metamorphosis from, and it describes the process of a caterpillar spinning a cocoon and then coming out of it a beautiful butterfly. In order to change from something that is earthbound and many times ugly and creepy to something beautiful that soars, you have to renew your mind. Transformation, metamorphosis, happens by renewing your mind to God's word. This means that the word of God starts to dominate your thinking. For many people, this sounds too simple. However, you aren't going to change until you change the way you think because you can't rise above your thoughts. Most people are looking for change from the outside, but change starts in your heart through the renewing of your mind. It doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your life is going the direction of your dominant thoughts. If you're waiting for God to do something to change your circumstances, the ball is in your court. God is waiting on you. He has more for you, and it doesn't have to be traumatic for you to get there. You can change effortlessly. All right. Thank you, Sherry. There's a lot there, and that's kind of a synopsis of uh, this book. And again, that was an article written by the author, Andrew Womack, uh, his monthly newsletter, and it just happened to be on this book. And so that's uh, kind of his theme this month and uh, whatnot. And so I know that in that article was kind of a synopsis of this book. And there's a lot there we can pick it back on, and we're actually going to cover all of it during this whole study, not tonight, but, uh, you know, change, you know. And, uh, he, you know, he writes here in the back of the book, most Christians want to change in some area of their lives. They try and try to make those changes, but soon find themselves falling back into the same habits and behaviors. Self-discipline and self-control have once again I failed them. So how does lasting change take place? A worm doesn't struggle to become a butterfly in a cocoon. A seed doesn't strive to become a tree and produce fruit. <coughs> Excuse me. They simply they, they simply do what they were create designed to do or created to do by God, and they change. The change takes place effortlessly. The word of God is like a seed, and your heart is the soil. When it's planted and nurtured in the soil of your heart, it begins to grow. The result is transformation, and the fruit becomes evident to all. If you want real change in your life, uh, this book is for you, and that's what we're talking about. But, you know, the Word of God is a seed. And if we're going to see change, we have to change the way we think. And some of the, uh, the verses that they use is actually... <coughs> part of our chapter 6 tonight that we're going to get into. But, you know, your life is going the direction of your most dominant thought. And if you want to change in your life, you're going to change the way you think. And it's the Word of God that's going to change you, not you. You know, you can't just you can't just change your behavior and change your life by self-will and self-control. And even if you could, that's you doing it, not God. And it, 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 it will have holes in it. And so I don't want to boast what I've done. I want to boast what he's done in me and through me. And, uh, you know, so and, and he also mentioned there that cha true change doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. That's true change. That's <coughs> transformational change. We're not here just to see people change. We're here to see people transformed by the word of God. Um, 
And it reminds me of John uh, chapter 15, and I'll just read a, a couple verses. Verse 5 says, I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And if you go down to verse 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be, so you will be my disciples. And I love this because Jesus go, is, is telling us how we can bear much fruit. And that's just abiding in him. And not only do we, we get to abide in him, which is the greatest blessing, but we bear much fruit. And in bearing much fruit, we glorify the Father, and we are His disciples. It is a win-win-win-win situation um, just by abiding in Him. And we can't bear fruit if we don't abide in Him, and we aren't in His Word being transformed, uh, meta the metamorpho that, that Andrew was talking about. All right, well, so let's get in chapter 6 tonight. And some of this we'll uh, see again. Uh, chapter 6, we're entitled, uh, Subject to Doubt, is the title of this uh, chapter. <coughs> you will become as you think, Proverbs 23, 7. The reason most people have the problems they do is, be is because they aren't controlling their thinking. Unless you do something specifically to keep your mind on the Lord, it will naturally go somewhere else. There just aren't very many things outside of God's Word that reflect God pointing us toward and drawing us closer to him. However, the word of God is pure light. Psalm 19 verse 8. When you study and meditate on God's word, it changes the way you think. As our thinking changes, so does our life. That's why we must get to where we're dominated by the word of God. When John the Baptist had doubts, Jesus pointed him to the word of God to overcome them. See Luke 7, verses 18 to 23. This is simple, but so profound. And yet, not many people believe this truth. Okay, very good, very good. Uh, short little section there. It's introductory to this chapter. You know, uh, again, there's so much. Uh, uh, again, uh, we already commented on the article that we read, and also we talked about it. Proverbs 23, 7 says, You will become as you think. As a man thinketh, so is he. You know, but what's feeding those thoughts? Where are your thoughts coming from? Something is, uh, you know, in the parable of the sower, in Mark and Luke, I forget which one says which, but Jesus says, take heed what you hear, and take heed how you hear. Whatever you are listening to, whatever you are hearing, is going to put seeds into your thinker. And that's where we need the Word of God to be our most dominant seed. <clears throat> we have jobs. We have a life to live. And so we can't always be 24-7 in the Word of God. We're going to have to function through life if we're going to be any earthly good and whatnot. At the same point in time, the, the Word of God can still be our most dominant thought. Sometimes we have the detox in the world. We Sherry read about how we need to abide in Him. At the same point in time, as we're abiding in Him, there are other things of issues of life happening. But where are we abiding? Where are we living? Where are we, uh, you know, the word abide can also be translated in some translations and some scriptures. Are we walking him? We're talking about walking with God. And, and, and so um, 
Colossians 2 6 that talks about in the same way we receive Christ, the same way we walk in Him. A walk is a lifestyle, it's a walk. We're walking with God. We're not just visiting God on Sundays and whatnot. We're walking, we're living this life together. We're walking hand in hand. And, you know, I mean, we do life together, but we're not always in the same room doing everything together. Sometimes, you know, we're doing chores around the house or we're doing our jobs and we're in the same office, but we're doing two different desks, doing two different jobs, sometimes two different locations. But we still live life together. You know, yeah, some people occupy our times that we, we are in connection with and whatnot. We do life together. And sometimes we do life, we have some some ish, uh, th- uh, things in life that we just do differently, you know. Sometimes she might hang out with her family, I might hang out with my family or, or friends or whatnot. But at the same point in time, she's the one that's been the most dominant time together. I don't live with any of those other people. I live with her, you know. We might visit, we might spend a day or even a, a vacation with some people or whatever at the most. But we live, and we might work with some people every day, Monday to Friday or whatever the case may be. But we, our most dominant time together is with each other. And so there's other things that we do in life. We're not just, you know, we're not just monks. We're just us, you know, that's for no more. At the same point in time, you know, there's a time where we do close the door and it's just us, you know. And so <coughs> because that is I'm married to her, I'm not married to you. I'm not married to anyone else. And so uh, that's just I'm just trying to bring some analogies here, you know, uh, you are what you think, but what's causing your think? You're thinking. Then he goes on to say, keep your mind on the Lord. It, uh, unless you do something specifically to keep your mind on the Lord, it will naturally go somewhere else. So th- we need to have some roadblocks in place. We need to have some disciplines in place. She read from, I think, John, you know, uh, a disciple. A disciple is a disciplined learner. And when you're going to school, when you're going to college or a trade school or whatever the case may be, you're going to have to discipline yourself to take those classes. Even if it's a, <coughs> excuse me, online class where you go at your own pace, you're still going to have to buckle down and discipline yourself to be in a learning environment so you can retain the information and, and pass the class. You know, there's a discipline to it. And so there's a discipline to, uh, you know, planting the seed. I mean, you can be like Johnny Appleseed and just throw them out here and there. Of course, I don't know exactly how he did it. Or you can just be, but most farmers uh, have, a, have a mechanism, a system of how they plant their seed. You know, we have a lot of farms here in Camarillo. And when, when, the, when their, their crops are growing, they're in, they're in a systematic order. They're not just sporadic everywhere. Even the orchards are are in a line, and there's a system to it. And so they were they were specifically planted, you know. And so we have to have disciplines on a line. If we don't <coughs> control our thinker and what's going to go into our thinker and what's going to influence our thinker, our minds can go wherever, you know. Uh, the seed will grow if you put whatever soil you put it in. And if you put it in thorny soil, uh, rocky soil, or just pavement, and just enough, I mean, we've known people, there was enough dirt at the behind our dryer that uh, a seed grew, and I forget what kind of tree, I think it was an oak tree, <laughs> you know, it grew behind a the dryer. There was enough 
soil or whatever was there, uh, you know, soot or dust or whatever that caused that, that allowed that seed to germinate and 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 it didn't grow to a full oak, oak tree, but it did. It had enough to get started. It had enough to gestate and germinate and and get started. And uh, so I think that's all I want to comment on here so far. And I I just I I, I love that that Andrew's talking about our our thoughts and our our thinking. But I also love the question that he started out with in his article about, you know, being being happy and content with your life, and do you want more? And he said almost all the Christians. Uh, oh, his question is, do you know God has more for your for you than you're experiencing? And he said most of the Christians said yes, and then he goes into John ten ten and explains about that. Christ has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. In a translation, he said, said life to its fullest. Are we just getting by with what we have? Are we just getting through one difficult thing after another and just, you know, trying to, to get to heaven? Or are we enjoying life to the fullest? You know, it's not that bad things won't come if you're a believer and, that, that's not what he's saying but our mindset our thinking on even Dave you know will refer to Jeremiah 17 about the cursed man and the blessed man you know the cursed man had good things happen to him too but he couldn't see those because he was always stewing and dwelling on the, the curse that was happening in his life the blessed man had bad things happen to him but he couldn't see them because he wasn't dwelling on them he was only dwelling on God and the good that that God was was giving him and he flourished he was like a tree planted by the waters who was always buried fruit even in the drought times even in the bad times and Andrew is saying there is a way for Christians to get there to triumph in every area of their life you know Dave was reminding someone I believe it was yesterday that Salvation doesn't just mean salvation. If you studied it out, it, it the definition is wholeness and deliverance and prosperity, salvation. I, I forget the, the yeah. whole thing, but it, it's such a rich, fat word, and it goes with John 10.10 10, that Jesus came, that we would have life and life more abundantly. God has provided every which way for us to have full and prosperous lives. Uh, where's the verse that says, I pray that 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 you prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers? That's not just prospering financially. That's prospering in your thoughts, in your health, you know, in every which way. Good. All good stuff. Very good. Let's read some more. Uh, this section is titled... Personal responsibility. <laughs> I'm not one of those ministers who sneaks in and walks up to the stage after the praise and worship is nearly over. I talk to lots of people before and after the meetings. At our meetings, I'll spend two or three hours in personal ministry to people on a one-to-one -one basis outside of my preaching in the service. I know by dealing firsthand with hundreds of people on a regular basis that many folks are struggling. They have doubt and fear. 
The doctor told them they're going to die and they want me to help them overcome. They want me to wave my hand over them to take away their fears. They're looking to me to impart healing to them. I'm not saying that I can't help people. However, it's wrong for us to look to another human being for our help. When John the Baptist had doubts, Jesus didn't just say, Oh, John, I know how you feel. I'm going to take care of this for you. I'll handle it from here. The Lord didn't just wave his hand and, when John was, and then John was free of doubt and guilt. That's not at all what happened. Jesus referred John back to the word of God. If you would just take God's word and use it yourself, you wouldn't have to follow people around from meeting to meeting, begging others to pray for you. Don't take what I'm saying out of context. I'm not against you having someone else pray for you. It takes time to get into the word of God and start seeing the life that's in the word released into your life. During that period of time when you're sowing the seed and waiting for it to increase and grow to the point that it'll bring liberty liberty in your life, don't be so stubborn or proud that, that you won't go to someone for help and ask them to pray for you. But don't be one of those people who just refuse to take personal responsibility. These people don't get into the word of God for themselves and let it transform them, nor do they have any plans for doing so in the future. Their life is just occupied with work, pleasures, or other distractions. They have no intention of making the Word of God a central part of their life. Like many others, they try instead to allow someone like me or another pastor to do their seeking of the Lord for them. That's just not going to work. Now, while you're in the process of seeking the Lord, growing to maturity, and getting the Word of God working in you, Don't be too proud to ask for help if you come into a problem. But don't be someone who isn't even trying, who doesn't even have a desire to try to get into the Word for themselves. If your life is too busy to be in the Word of God, and you're just trying to bootleg the gospel off of me or someone else, it's not going to work. If you like to watch my television program or listen to my radio show, I'm glad. I'm not against anybody else's program. Or Christian programming in general. It has all been a real blessing from the Lord in many people's lives. However, if all you're doing is receiving your nourishment from God after it's already been digested by someone else, you aren't going to grow much. If you aren't going to take the word firsthand, then you aren't going to mature. Now, there's some good stuff Andrew's saying here, if you take it to heart. You know, he used John the Baptist as an example. When John the Baptist had some questions, Jesus didn't just uh, do everything for him. He, he he referred John the Baptist back to the Word of God. And John the Baptist was someone who knew the Word of God. And so that, that, that was good. And he, Andrew's not saying that we can't reach out for help when we need help. There, there's a time and a place for that. There's times Sherry and I need to reach out for help, even though we say the Word of God ourselves. But he's also addressing those who... They just want to be spoon-fed. They want someone else to do all the work. And they want to, in other words, they're very complacent. They're very, they're very lazy. <laughs> they're very passive. And they might not treat it that way. And they believe that all the scriptures, but they're, they're waiting for a miracle from the man of God, from the, the pastor or the, the evangelist or the minister of some sort. And, uh, and not that we, you know, those gifts are not valid. It's not that, you know, we, we appreciate people like Andrew and other people who, there's a special anointing on their lives. 
at the same point in time, if you're so codependent on a minister, and you will not will not take the responsibility of getting in the Word of God yourself, you're doing yourself a disservice. There's a time to go and get ministered to. And sometimes we do need a miracle. We do need something from the, uh, someone with one of the gifts. At the same point in time, that should not be every day in the norm. We should be walking with God in our own relationship. And at times, you know, uh, for example, we might water the grass every day. We might, uh, you know... Uh, do all the regular uh, maintenance through the lawn, but once in a while we might fertilize it, give it a little extra boost, give it a little assistance. You know, so you know, uh, it's pride. You know, sometimes when you know the right answers and you've been in the Word of God, you've been in the Word of God. Sometimes you can get just tired and you just so beat up that you just need to reach out for help. And and to get back on your feet again, <coughs> get back on the right track to be get some reassurance, whatever the case may be. That is not nothing drawn, and that can be actually very healthy. But for you to uh, always be w waiting for, you know, it's almost like a fast food. You just always want a fast food from someone else to to serve you, but you don't want to do any studying in any relationship with God on your own in the Word of God, you're not going to grow very much. And that effortless change is going to be very minimal in your life. Again, I go back to the original question that this article that Sherry read at the beginning. You know, are you happy with your life? Do you like the direction your life is going? Do you like the fruit and the harvest that's in your life? If not, you know, it's time to change some seed. It's time to change the, the, the backdrop. It's time to change something. It's insanity to do the same thing and expect a different result. That's insane. And so, uh, you know, if you don't like the direction your life is going, then you need to change your seed. And so you need to change your diet. And you need to change some, there needs to be some changes in how you are, um, are harvesting your crops and producing your crops. You know, and praise God for people like Andrew. Praise God for our pastors and teachers. But... A good pastor, a good teacher, it will, they will feed you the Word of God. They will teach you the Word of God consistently. But they will also teach you how to, to study the Word of God for yourselves. In other words, I don't want just to get a fish dinner. I want a pastor that will teach me how to fish as well. And so, and sometimes, you know, uh, even as ministers, sometimes we know we're always studying the Word of God, we're always ministering. Sometimes we have to just take a break and go receive. We have to learn how to give. We have to learn also how to receive and, 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 and take it in and get ministered. Sometimes I'm in the, you know, when I used to go to, I went to Bible college before I went to Karis Bible college and actually just became a textbook. And I, I had to learn that, yeah, there, there is a time that I'm, I'm studying this for a message and I'm studying this for ministry. But I also need to sometimes take a time out and just study the Word of God, not to get a message, but allow God to speak to me and minister to me. I'm not saying that God can't minister to me while I'm preparing the message, and that has happened many times. But there's sometimes I just need, you know, if I'm not getting fed, if I'm not getting ministered to, I have nothing to give any of you. Yeah, freely, freely receive, freely give. If my cup is empty, I have nothing to offer you. 
And so I need to constantly be being fed myself and getting nourished myself so I can minister and whatnot. So, You know, I have so many tangents I want to go on. You know, back when we were talking about our, our, our thinking and even the words we say, you know, even King David in the Psalms, uh, you know, he might, he might have moaned and groaned for a while and said all that was going wrong, but he always switched it to his, his, switched his thinking and the words coming out of his mouth to thanksgiving and praising God because he knew who he could trust in to, to change the circumstances. And, you know, Andrew's talking about, you know, don't just go from meeting to meeting. There is a very special calling on ministers, the fivefold ministers. God has set them apart so they can share the gospel and bring the gospel and bring revelation to to all of us. And even those ministers need to be ministered to as well, as well as that personal relationship that, that Dave was talking about. But, you know, even Paul in Ephesians, he, he talks, when he's talking about the, the fivefold, it says, and he himself, he's talking about God, gave some to be apostles, some prophet, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The, the fivefold ministry gifts, the pastors, the evangelists, the ministers like Andrew, they are to equip the saints. They, they have a, a very specific gift that, that God has called them to. But it's, it's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That is for all of us to be able to edify one another. If I'm going through something, I can go to Dave or a, another believer and say, Look, I'm in the moment. I'm struggling. I need prayer. I need help. Uh, please encourage me with a verse or a psalm or a hymn, something, because um, I'm not doing too good in the moment. And sometimes my flesh wants to say, I know the answers. I know what God says in his word, but I still want to be in my pity party. But we, we all at times need to go to one another and say, hey, I need prayer. You know, it, Paul is very strong in all of his epistles that we are to love one another, to walk in unity, and to edify and build one another up. And if you want the definition of of the edifying, the Strong's okay technology okay Strong text uh, the Strong's concordance for edification is you know not just build the act the building up of someone. But it's the active one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, holiness. It's helping strengthen the other one's walk with the Lord in whatever they're struggling with. And Paul is very clear in his letters how needful that is. And so if we just go from meeting to meeting for someone else to do all the work, that that's... That's not how God has designed the church to, to, to operate. It's not discipleship. 
we are to be that disciplined learner that Jesus talks about, that Dave has preached about, and to be discipled by Christ and be that disciplined learner means that we can grow and bear fruit and live life to the fullest. And that's what Andrew's heart, wherever I put the book, that's Andrew's heart in, in all that he does is for all of us to, to change and have growth in our lives for the better, to live life to the fullest, how Christ has designed it for us to be. Awesome. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. Uh, let's be some more absolutely committed. The Lord dealt with John the Baptist when he had doubt by referring him back to the word of God. He didn't just take care of it for him. He didn't wave his hand and solve the problem. Jesus told John to go back to the word of God. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Matthew eleven, two through 3 John the Baptist was a man who was mightily used of God. He is the only person in the Bible, Old or New Testament, who was baptized in the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. Luke 1, verse 15. Before he was physically born, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. John was a unique character, mightily anointed and blessed by God. John spent 30 years in the desert preparing for his ministry. He never experienced the normal things that people go through. He was totally focused on his calling. Then he burst upon the scene, and in six months' time, he turned not only the Jewish nation, but also all the nations surrounding Israel to an expectancy of the Messiah's coming. John saw the greatest revival that ever, that had ever happened in history up until that time, possibly the greatest revival that's ever taken place anywhere. This was the man who began it. At one time, John was absolutely certain that Jesus was the Messiah. He sent his own disciples off after Christ, saying, He must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30 the Pharisees came out to John and tried to make him envious of Jesus by saying, Don't you realize that Jesus now has more disciples than you? He's baptized more people than you? Instead of being envious, John responded by saying, I'm not even worthy to stoop over and undo his sandals. See John 1 verses 24 through 27. John knew his place. John knew who Jesus was, and he was absolutely committed to him. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, there's a lot of lot I can pick you back here, but I really even like how that ended. You know, it's when we are establishing God's word, and when we have a relationship with God and His word, we can be so confident, like John. We just know who we are. People might criticize. People might try to. People, other people might be comparing us with other people, but you know, Paul even says to compare ourselves among ourselves is not wise. But we can be so established in who we are. You know, at the same point in time, you know, and, and Andrew's been reiterating this whole thing, but uh, when John had some doubts, and we've all had doubts from time to time, you know, he brought him back to God's Word to 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 address those doubts. You know, uh, when I have doubts, I want people to bring me to God's Word. You know, I can't put my faith in your philosophy. I can't put my faith in your opinion. I can only put my faith in the Word of God. 
And so, you know, I, I there's a lot of people I like and whatnot, but at the same point in time, I'm not going to come to certain people for wisdom, for advice when I'm having doubts if they're not going to lead me to the Word of God. Because I, faith doesn't come by your opinion and your philosophy. And uh, even if it's good stuff, it might be noble stuff. But if it's not the Word of God, I can't put, I, faith is not going to be there. You know, Jesus said himself, by your, your traditions, you make the Word of God of no effect. And I, I don't want it to be of no effect. <laughs> I want it to be effect. And the reason I have doubts because a lot of times it wasn't effectual. And so, you know, the Word of God is our, I mean, we can be established in who we are. We can have reassurance if we have doubts or whatnot. You know, um, uh, we we just need this this absolute commitment to the Word of God and our relationship with that Word. And when we, you know, when the enemy plants a doubt, a seed, a weed, you know, a weed of doubt, you know, we can come. If we have a lifestyle, if we have something, then. You know, it's uh, we can come and get re reaffirmed by the Word of God. And, it, and sometimes we can even come to someone else, a, pa a pastor, a minister. Like John the Baptist came to Jesus. Uh, you know, he had some doubts, and Jesus just led him to the Word of God. Don't take my word for it. In other words, even though Jesus is the Word, he was also in the flesh at the time. And he laid all that down, and he said, don't just take my word for it. Search the scriptures for yourselves, and uh, <clears throat> you know, and and that's that's what's going to encourage me. You know, uh, ultimately is the word of God, not someone's opinion and approval. Uh, it's it's going to. I mean, we all want approval, but at the same point in time, that's temporary. That will fade, and that only goes so far. It's God's word that is, you know, especially when we're in a crisis, especially in these last end times. Our faith needs to be in the Word of God, not man, and not uh, some philosophy. It needs to be in the Word of God so we can live by faith, because the just shall live by his faith. So. You know, and piggybacking on Dave talked about, you know, not comparing ourselves. Too often we compare ourselves by what we're going through and someone else is not going through it. So... You know, we, we wish we were them because they don't have our problems or we wish we were a stronger uh, believer um, and, or wanting to be a minister like so-and-so. I just want to piggyback on that because I think someone needs to hear this. There's, there's a, a right way to have someone be their example. Andrew is an example of a godly man, a godly minister who has some revelation in his life that he's sharing with the world, with the believers, and that that's a good thing. He is using his example uh, to help us. But each one of us is created unique and precious in God's eyes. He specifically knitted and formed each one of us very special and unique like a, a snowflake or a leaf that there's not one snowflake that is similar to another each one is so intricate and delicate and beautiful and so I just go back to the word unique and each one of us has 
gifts and a calling that is unique to us and God loves us. You know, Dave read a, a verse this morning, or maybe I, I read it, I'm pretty sure it was Dave, um, talking about that, that God was going to be a crown of glory for us. And yet, in another verse, and I don't have time to bring it up, but he calls us his crowns, his jewels. And it it just, it's, it's amazing how wonderfully and marvelously we are each one made and loved entirely and in totally by God, our Father and Creator. Awesome. Awesome. This is just good stuff. Good stuff. Sorry, I lost my place real quick. Uh, I'm going to get back. Yeah. I just, I, what's that? 54. Oh, 54. I was there? I guess. Oh, good day. So, let's read, uh, I think, at least one more section here. Fireball on ice. But John's confidence began to waver after being in prison for an unspecified amount of time. He had been in prison a minimum of six months, possibly as long as two years. This fireball for God had been put on ice. John had been forbidden to communicate with his followers or influence people. After such a long period of time, this hardship began to wear on him. So when John the Baptist sent two of his remaining disciples to inquire if Jesus was the Messiah or if he should look for another, keep in mind this wasn't some newcomer to the Lord who was asking this question. This was someone who had had this question answered before. This was the man who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt at one time that Jesus was the Christ. Yet in the midst of these struggles, here he was doubting that Jesus was the Messiah. Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Matthew 11, verse 3. This is nothing but pure doubt. This was a major problem on John the Baptist's part, because at one time he had been absolutely certain of who Jesus was. He had even been given a sign from God confirming that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew three sixteen and 17. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Luke 3, verse 22. God told John that the one upon whom he saw the Spirit of God descend in the shape of a dove and remain on him would be the Messiah. John 1, verse 33. John the Baptist received this visible sign when he baptized Jesus in water and the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. He also heard an audible voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17 John not only had the scriptures and the witness in his own heart, but he also had an audible and visible sign. That's pretty profound. Most of us can't say that, that we've had an audible, invisible sound. Not only did he have the word of God, but he heard the audible voice of God. He saw the 
that the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus upon a dove. He had a lot of evidence, uh, physical evidence, if you will, not just spiritual, uh, but he had a lot of evidence, and yet he had doubts. That actually encourages me, you know, because sometimes I'm questioning myself, why am I doubting? Because I know the right answer, but why am I struggling with doubt? And John had had all this evidence, and he struggled with doubts. That doesn't make it okay, but at the same point in time, it does does encourage me that, you know, even the best of us can struggle. Look at Elijah. He saw fire come down from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And yet he, the next, uh, next chapter, he was hiding in the cave, that saying, I am the only prophet, and whatnot. And uh, he was whining like a crybaby. You know, at the same point, and I can give you other scriptures. You know, uh, the be- the best of us have had a time where we just uh, just fall apart. And um, but don't let the devil use that to keep you down. <coughs> you know, um, be encouraged. Be encouraged, and don't stay in your doubt. Don't nurse that doubt. Uh, you know, I'm not encouraging that. But what I'm saying is, you know. Um, uh, the devil can get on your case because you're doubting. You know, first of all, he's the one that caused you to doubt, and then he, then he points the finger back at you. Look, see, you don't even have faith. You're doubting. No wonder it doesn't work. That type of thought, thinking he gets to you, and uh, and yet John the Baptist and others were the same way. That doesn't make the doubting okay. That just helps me knowing that you know what. Some, you know, sometimes I feel like the devil gets us. Because we feel like we're the only one. We feel like we're the only one struggling the way we're struggling. We're the only one doubting the way we doubt. And when, when he begins to play that game with us, and we feed on that, on that, it's harder for our faith to work because we think we're unique. <laughs> we think that our 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 situ- that we think we think we're the exception to the rule. Well, you no, know, and, and, and the enemy actually. Uh, produces this doubt that keeps our, our, our answer from coming. And so, you know, the devil will get us many times thinking, we're the only ones struggling like that, you know. And uh, we're the only ones not, we know better. We sh- why are we doubting? And we just start, <coughs> we start kicking that bucket around. And, and But that is actually part of our downfall. You know, there's no temptation that's not common to man. And we need to realize, you know, we just need to get out of the muck and pull up our big boy girl pants pants on, take our thumb out of our mouth, and and just be the child of God that we are and brush ourselves up <coughs> get back and fight. And fight this fight of this this fight of faith and go do and be what God calls us to do and be. So you know, it reminds me, uh, early on in our marriage, we were uh, at a church, and the youth pastor at, a, at the time, and I wish I remembered his name, but the thing that, that Dave and I just have taken away from this young man at the time was he commented it and, and said that, you know, if, if he doesn't feel like worshiping, uh, because of his doubts or pity party or whatever it might be, he tells himself, worship the Lord, darn it. I will worship the Lord, darn it. And 
<coughs> so many times in, in Paul's letters, he says for us to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice or to pray with thanksgiving or just just be thankful. And yet we can, we are, all of us can be like John the Baptist and, and have doubts and, and worry and, and fear. And yet at other times, like John, be so full of faith. You know, I, I love it in, in John. Uh, okay, I just saw. Oh, in, in, for, in the Gospel, John, not First John, but John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is, and then he goes on to say, this is the one I've been talking about. And um, it, it reminds me of, of when you read, I believe it's in, in Luke, in the Christmas story where John, as a baby in his mother's womb, leaps for joy when Mary, who's impregnated with Jesus, comes into the room. And John, in, in um, Elizabeth's womb, just leaps for joy in the Holy Spirit because he knew, even in the womb, that Jesus was the Messiah and you know, I, I just I I love John's faith and his his um, example. All right. Well, we're just about out of time. We'll pick it up here next week, and we're not quite done with chapter six. So we'll wrap that up next week and probably go into chapter seven. But anyway, uh, let me just press out. Bless this week, and uh, we just thank you for your word. I just pray for anyone right now who might be doubting, who's struggling. And I just thank you for taking them back to your word and reminding them as the Holy Spirit, you're so faithful, bringing the scriptures to our remembrance. And taking us down that memory lane of faith of your word of God, of the word of God. And reminding us of your faithfulness, your goodness your promises that all the promises are yes and amen to the glory of God by us Lord if we just worship you help us to walk by faith and not by sight help us to be encouraged by your word despite what we're going through despite how long it's been going on that we would be encouraged that you are faithful 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 teach us how to Focus on you and your word so that we don't doubt. So that we keep our minds stayed upon you and your word so that we don't go into this realm of doubt. But we can always be a full of faith and we can grow from faith to faith because the just, the righteous shall live by his faith. We worship you. We magnify you. Bless us as we go. Bless this week. Bless our families, bless our finances, bless our health, bless our everything that we put our the work of our hands this week. In your name, we give you thanks. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday at seven o'clock as we talk about the Believer's Authority.